Hey guys, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is David Dorner, and I am the teaching pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it is so good to be with you. Our mission in this world is to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus for a lifetime or if your journey's just begun, we hope that this message will speak powerfully to your heart, that it will reveal something that God desires to cultivate in your life, and that you'll be drawn to the person of Jesus as a result. We hope these next few moments encourage you, challenge you, and inspire you to be who God has created you to be. We hope you enjoy it. Good morning, everybody. Welcome home. It's great to have you with us here in the room. For some of you, this is the first time you've been physically with us in the room in quite a while. And uh, for those of you watching online, for some of you, this is the first time you've even tuned in and watched online in a while. And so uh, it's great to have you with us as we launch into this fall ministry season. We are right now in a series where we are looking again at our vision as a church. It's been a while since we've done that. And so our vision as a church, uh, Frontline's vision, is that we are not done until there are zero lives unchanged by Jesus. We are not done until there are zero lives unchanged by Jesus. That's what our heartbeat is. That's what we're about. And so what we're doing with this series is we are looking at five different conversion stories in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, you will be my witnesses to preach the gospel and people's lives are going to be changed. And so these are five lives that that were changed by Jesus in the book of Acts. And with each one of these conversion stories we're looking at every single week, we're looking at each one through the lens of one of our five zeros that that are there on that magnet that's uh, on your chair if you're here in the room. And so each one of these five zeros are kind of what we believe are the marks of true discipleship. It's what happens in our lives and in our church community when we embrace the gospel fully. And so today, what we're looking at is we're going to be looking in Acts chapter 16. So if you want to grab your Bible app and begin to turn there or turn in your Bible, um, Acts 16 is where we're going to be. We're going to be looking at the jailer, the conversion story of the jailer um, who comes to Christ in in that passage. And we're going to be looking at his story through the lens of zero unconnected in community. That's the zero we're focusing on this morning. So what do we mean by that? When we talk about what does it mean to be connected in community? You know and I know that we live in a world where it is not uncommon for for us to have like a thousand friends on Facebook or a thousand followers on Instagram or TikTok, and yet we have very, very few real relationships. In other words, a lot of times in our world, uh, we wonder who's really with me? Who would really be there if I went through a tough time, if I went through life? Who, who is actually my, my true friends, my true community? And so uh, oftentimes we kind of stay on this, the shallow surface level with people in our lives. We carry our own burdens and we just kind of uh, make do. There's a whole world of things that people don't see and, and people don't know under the surface. And I would say that was true before 2020, um, so I want to get something off my chest a little bit. I want to talk for a second. If you guys have been a part of Frontline for a little while, you probably realize that before March of 2020, before the pandemic hit and everything shut down, we actually really didn't have a live stream as a church. Now, other churches were doing that, and, but we just never had. We had never really made that a focus. Now, you, you could watch our services online or whatever if you wanted to, but very few people were, and we just really weren't putting any energy or any resources into that. That just wasn't a thing. And then in March of 2020, you all know what happened. Uh, The pandemic shut down everything in our world. And all of a sudden, all we had was a live stream. 
That was it. That's all we had. And so we began to really invest in that and really uh, use that. And now what's amazing about the live stream, this truly is, is absolutely incredible, is that um, this past summer, these summer months, we actually have reached more people uh, through our um, services on Sunday morning than we ever have in the history of our church. And it's because of the live stream. So, so in addition to people here in the room every single Sunday, we know we have hundreds of people watching every week on the live stream. And that is an amazing thing. Praise God for that, that, that even through the midst of this uh, pandemic, yeah, even in the midst of this pandemic, there's been this blessing, that, something that we wouldn't have really focused on, and it's reaching people. Um, and so people are coming to Christ. The baptism service we did earlier this summer, a bunch of those people told us, yeah, I started watching online. That's how I, I got connected. That's um, how I first started coming to Frontline. Um, pastor Cody, who is our pastor of Connections, was telling our staff this past week that in the last two months, in the summer months, over 100 people uh, who are new connected with Frontline through our newcomers' meals or other ways, that's because of the live stream. Praise God for that. That's amazing. But can I tell you, oh, hold on, there, I, have, I have some kind of mixed feelings about the live stream. So if I can get this off my chest a little bit as your pastor. Here's, uh, there's good news and there's bad news about the live stream, if I can be honest. Uh, so the good news is, for, there's this whole group of people in our community that the live stream has been a step into community for them, for the, the church and to get connected to others. Praise God for that. But the, the seamy underbelly of the live stream is that for a whole other group of people, the live stream has actually been a step out and back and away from community. Here's what I mean by that. There's a whole group of people in our church who prior to March of 2020, they were here regularly attending. They were a part of things. They were serving in a ministry area. They were part of a small group. And now if I see them once in a while, they say, yeah, you know, I, I watch online when I can. And so this thing that has been such a gift to us and so many people are stepping into community through it, praise God for it, has also at the same time been this like, the live stream has actually provided the means to step back and away and out of community. And so here's what I want to say to you. If you're, if you're watching online today or if you're in the room, here's what I want to say. Wherever you are on that equation, if you're newer to Frontline and you're, you've been watching, you're kind of going, man, I don't know. I kind of like to take a next step. I'm not sure what that looks like. Or if you used to be involved and for you, it's been a, a giant step back. I hope today, this is what my prayer has been for today, I hope today challenges you and inspires you to take a step forward and get into community. And here's the reason why I would say that. It's because when you look at, at the Gospels, when you look at the book of Acts, Jesus calls us to believe and to belong. You don't see any of these conversion stories in the book of Acts where somebody believes in Jesus and then they're just kind of, that's it. They're called to belong, we're called to believe in Christ, put our faith and our trust in him. That's how we get saved. That's how we, we experience salvation. But then we're called to actually take the next step and belong to a community. So let's look at this story together. We're in Acts 16. And here's what's happening in the story. Last week, we looked at Paul's conversion story. By Acts 16, Paul and Silas have gone all over the Roman world, and they are in Philippi. Now, Philippi is a Roman colony at this time. So it's part of the Roman world. And so Paul and Silas are there, they're preaching the gospel, great things are happening, but it's so disruptive to that world and to that culture at the time that Paul and Silas actually come into conflict with um, some of the local authorities. And so here's what happens, verse 22, it says, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. 
They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they did not escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, like you do when you're in prison. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. Now, we read this story oftentimes, and what we think to ourselves is, oh, that poor jailer, he must have been really depressed, or he must not have had enough antidepressants, you know, he needed to go back and see his doctor or something. Like, that's what we think. Like, he must have just had a lot of problems, and so, you know, there's this moment that he assumes the prisoners have escaped, and he just feels so bad about himself that he decides he's going to draw a sword and kill himself. But that's actually not what was happening here. Uh, Philippi was, like we said, was a Roman province. In the Roman world, the, uh, the culture of Rome at this time was an honor-shame culture. It's a little bit different than our, our American Western world that's more about individual uh, freedoms and rights. It's more about the, ind- you know, the individual. Uh, in that culture, you were very, very tied to your community and what your community thought about you and having honor and shame in that culture. So for the Roman jailer, who probably at one time was a Roman soldier, that's usually how you got the job, as you were a retired Roman soldier, for him, this was the decent thing to do. If you shamed yourself, if you uh, failed on your duty, if you dishonored yourself as it related to your community, the decent right thing to do would be to kill yourself. That's what you would do. So that's what is happening here in this moment. He's failed. He assumes the prisoners have escaped, and so he's going to take his own life. He's dishonored in his society, and he sees no path back from that. Now, we look at that and we go, well, that's kind of hard to relate to. Uh, But is it? Is it hard to relate to? I would see this moment that's happening right here in this story as kind of a a picture of our current cancel culture that we live in today. We uh, live in a society today, and you know that, you know this, where more and more and more, especially with the rise of social media, we are identifying more and more with different pockets of our community. So we form community in our world around uh, political ideologies, we form, um, you know, community around entertainment preferences, even around Facebook groups, around, uh, you know, you know, groups that have to do with sex or gender or sexual identity or race or social class, whatever it is. And then what happens is, if we do something or say something to get ourselves dishonored or canceled, there is no path back. There's no path back once you've gotten canceled in our world. And what we've seen year over year over the last several years is a continual rise in suicide rates of the youngest of our generation. And a lot of that has to do with the way that they're identifying themselves completely with their community, and then if they get canceled or they do something to shame themselves, uh, there's no path back. Here's what I want you to see in this passage today. Here's what I want you to hear. The church is not like that. We're called to be something totally different than that. So if we're going to understand what does it mean to get involved in community, to get connected in community in the church of Jesus Christ, we have to begin by, by talking about what is a church actually. So let me, let me give this to you. A church is not, cent- it's not a group of people that are centered around a mission statement, 
Even though that's great and I love having a mission statement and I think it's important, the church actually isn't centered around a mission statement. The church is not centered around a human personality like a pastor like me. That's not a church. A church is not centered around a political uh, party or ideology. A church is not centered uh, around even a building or an institution. None of those things. What a church is, if we have to understand what a church is, a church is a community of people centered around the person of Jesus Christ. That's what a church is. And that's what makes a ch- the church for 2,000 years plus so unique and so different in the world that we live in. There's really nothing else like this in our world. When a group of people is centered around the person of Jesus Christ, there is the power to heal. There is the power to form an entirely new community around Jesus because when we are unified around Jesus, he who unifies us is greater and bigger than all the things in our world that divide us. And that's been true for a couple millennium now. Do we need to be reminded of this? Do we need to be reminded that a church is a group of people, it's a community of people centered around the person of Jesus Christ? And when we are living like that, there is nothing more powerful or compelling or beautiful than the church. For us, Small groups is the primary way in which we experience that, in which we center ourselves around the person of Jesus Christ. And over the last year and a half with the pandemic, that small groups has been the ministry of the church that has been the hardest to keep going and keep up with. It's been the ministry that's taken the biggest hit in our church. Um, there are uh, some small groups that have actually kept meeting throughout the pandemic. This past week, uh, Pastor Jesse Heine actually uh, was telling me this story about his small group. Um, And I I love these kind of stories, but Jesse and his small group, they continued to meet during the pandemic. And at some point in there, um, one of the members of that small group was sharing with the group and she was saying, she was talking about this person that she worked with. And she was talking about this woman that she worked with and she was uh, burdened for this woman. And she said, uh, it's a, you know, mom, she was in an abusive, dangerous marriage. They had two small kids and she was getting abused and beat up. And her husband was so angry it got to a point where he had just destroyed, like he just punched holes through all these uh, walls in their house. He just ripped up the house and destroyed it. And then he'd left and he'd abandoned them. And so now you have this mom who's now a single mom with these two young kids and she can't fix the house to get it ready to be able to sell it and get into a better situation. And so this woman from Frontline, she's sharing this with her small group about her friend. And so the small group just felt led by the Holy Spirit to pool their resources together. We don't ask small groups to do this kind of stuff, but they just felt led to do this, to pool their resources together. And the guys all bought a bunch of stuff and they ended up going over to her house, putting up new drywall, putting in new trim, fixing up the house, and then praying over her and her kids. And from that, she was able to to turn the house around and sell it and get into a better situation. And a few months later, she ends up sending a letter to this small group, just thanking them and giving some some money to the small group to say, hey, will you go and do that for someone else? Now, that's not even the best part of this story. My favorite part of the story is that we just found out just a couple weeks ago, this lady actually started attending Frontline. And she's right now getting connected and has already made some connections here in the church. There's something powerful about when a group of people is centered around the person of Jesus Christ, it, it's, it has the power to draw people in and experience Christ and transform people's lives. It's powerful when that happens. Do, do we need to be reminded 
that that's what we're called to as the church. There's something about being unified in Jesus that actually has the power to, uh, that's bigger and to, and to pull us together against all the things that divide us in our world. So that's what's happening here in this story. There's an entirely new community that's being formed around the gospel. So let's go back to the story here. The jailer has pulled out his sword. He's ready to kill himself, right? Because he's been dishonored in his culture. He assumes all the prisoners are gone. And it says this, but Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And as far as he's concerned, his life, his old life is over. So what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him. It's another way of talking about the gospel. They shared the gospel message with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Now, there are two things about this passage that we just read that are absolutely astonishing to me. Okay, the first thing that's absolutely astonishing to me about this passage is this jailer pulls out his sword, he's about to kill himself, and Paul and Silas stop him. Wait a minute, they're still there? They're still in the prison? Do you you understand what happened here? They're praying, they're singing hymns to God. They're in the jail. They've got, you know, shackles on their arms and legs. Suddenly God provides, you know, this earthquake that breaks the doors open. All the chains and shackles miraculously fall off of, uh, you know, their legs and their arms. What do you do? Yes, run, it's not a trick question. You get out of there. God just set you free. Run away. This is not hard. The jailer wakes up. He assumes they're all gone. He's about to kill himself. And Paul and Silas are like, hey, we didn't, we didn't leave. We're just hanging out here. Been waiting for you. Let, let me spell it out for you what happened in this moment. This is what's so astonishing to me about this passage. Paul and Silas lay down their individual rights for freedom in this moment in order to reach this jailer who's about to kill himself with the gospel. There is so much I could say about that as we think about this last year we've been living in. Paul and Silas set down their, they've been set free by God. They set down that individual right for freedom so they can stay and so that they can pull this guy into the community and help him understand the gospel. Do we need to be reminded that that's who we are as the church. As the church, our, our highest priority is that we're not done until zero lives are unchanged by Jesus. We're, we're called to lay down sometimes what's most comfortable for us in order to see other people come into the gospel message. That's what we're called into. And so that's the first thing that's astonishing to me about this passage. The second thing that's astonishing to me about this passage is what it actually says they do. So there's four things it says they do, you know, when this jailer decides uh, to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? And those four things that they do actually make up exactly what it means to be connected in community in Jesus Christ. It's a perfect picture of the community life of the church and what we're called to. Um, just, just to kind of give it to you there, uh, first it talks about the word of the Lord being, being spoken in verse 32. 
So as they preach the gospel to him, and then it talks about service to others. The jailer binds up their wounds and cares for them. He serves them. And then in 33, the second part, uh, that he and his whole family get baptized. That's the third thing. And then the fourth thing is they end by sharing a meal together in community. So that, that's a picture of the church's community life when we enter into it. And so just to really spell it out for you and really, really be clear here on Welcome Home Sunday, when we, when we talk about what does it mean to be connected to the church, what does it mean to be uh, connected in community, we call every frontliner to these four things, to engage with the preaching of the word, which is what we do every Sunday morning. It's what we're doing here right now on, on a regular basis. The second thing is find a place to serve others, find a place to begin serving within the body of Christ. Um, we, we invite everyone to get baptized. If you haven't been baptized yet, we're going to have another baptism service this fall. You're going to hear plenty more about it. And then um, the last thing is to share life together in a small group. Now, sometimes there's a meal involved in a small group. That's, they're, they're sharing a meal together. But to share life together in a small group, because a church, what makes a church different than everything else in our world is a church is a group of people that is centered around the person of Jesus Christ. And so the question is not, who do you belong to? That's really not a very compelling question because you can belong to a lot. You can belong to a gym. You can belong to a political party. You can belong to, uh, you know, whatever it is. The, The real question we're asking here this morning is what community do you belong to that is helping you grow in your new identity in Christ? What, what group of people, what community do you belong to that's helping you step out of the old life, the discipleship of the world, and step into your new identity in Christ? That's what the church is. That's what we're called to do for one another. Now, I love the way this story actually ends in Acts 16. This is the last verse of Acts, of Acts chapter 16. It says, When Paul and Silas left the prison... They returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. Now, hold on a minute. Who, who is this person right here? Who's Lydia? This is, this is the most powerful part of this entire passage of Scripture. If you just stick with me here for, for one more second. Um, this blew my mind when I uh, realized it. So in Acts chapter 16, there are three conversion stories that Luke tells us. Luke wrote the book of Acts. He tells us these three conversion stories back to back. The first one is the conversion story of Lydia. Lydia is a wealthy business owner. She's a purple cloth trader from Thyatira is what it tells us. So purple cloth was uh, sought after and it was very rare all throughout the Roman world. She's a purple cloth uh, uh, dealer from Thyatira. She's there in Philippi. She owns a home in Philippi. The second person that gets saved in Acts chapter 16 is a slave girl. She's owned as property uh, by some other guys in that town. The third person that gets saved is the Roman jailer we just read about. At the end of the story, you have these three people all worshiping together. They're all part of the church and they're all worshiping together at Lydia's house. I love the way Tim Keller describes these, these three different people. He says, in our world today, he says Lydia would have been like a CEO of her own company. The slave girl would have been like the drug-addicted prostitute that was getting beat up by her pimp every night. And the Roman jailer would have been like the blue-collar cop. 
okay? So these three groups of people would not have hung out together. They wouldn't have meshed together in society at this time. This would not have been a group of people that would have gotten along in any way, shape, or form. And yet at the end of this chapter, you have all three of them. They're all gathered together at Lydia's house and they're all worshiping Christ together. They've all been connected in community in the church. Now, why is that so interesting? Luke was going after something in not just the Roman world, but the Jewish world at this time. It's very well documented that a famous Jewish prayer, uh, Josephus and other historians document that uh, Jewish men would begin their day, they would begin their morning prayers with this statement, Lord, thank you for not making me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Literally, this, this is a very famous prayer. Jewish men, if you were a good Jewish man, you would begin your morning prayers. God, thank you for not making me like these people, a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. A woman, a slave, or a, wait a minute, a woman, a slave, a, a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. You see what Luke did in Acts 16? He tells three conversion stories back to back of a woman, a slave, and a Gentile, a Roman guard, a Roman jailer. And they're all at the end of the story centered around the person of Jesus Christ, who's bigger than all the other things that divide us in our world, and they're worshiping together at Lydia's house. Luke is trying to tell us the gospel and the church is for everyone. Everyone. No matter your background, your pedigree, no matter what sins you've committed, no matter what it is, the gospel and the church is for everyone. And there's something so powerful about the person of Jesus when we surrender our lives to him and when we begin to grow in who he is and in community, it forms an entirely new community that's unlike anything else in the world around him. That's the church. Um, I have an uncle, my dad's brother. Uh, he had polio as a child and a disease that no longer affects you or me in our world today left him crippled stole most of his childhood. Uh, my dad is this big, strong guy. He was one of the first people in his family to go to college. He went on a full-ride football scholarship to Butler University. My uncle has been crippled for his entire life. I remember um, growing up as a kid, I always would watch my uncle. And I always, you know, at a certain age, as a kid, you start, you know, my uncle was always around. He was always with us. And you, you start to notice as a kid, oh, he walks funny or he walks different. And I didn't know why, and I remember asking my mom, I said, why does Uncle Roger, why does he walk that way? Why does he walk funny? And so my mom began to explain to me this disease, polio, that used to affect us. And she, she describes the surgery that my uncle had to go through uh, that actually left him crippled. That was so painful and so awful um, in order to save his life. And, um, you know, she, she just described all the suffering he went through. And then she dropped the bombshell on me. And she said, you know... He's not actually your biological uncle, right? I said, no, I didn't know it. I'd always called him Uncle Roger. And she said, no, your, your father is an only child. And so she began to describe how they became, became friends. Brothers, really. What happened is my uncle, after the surgery and after the time he returned back to school, in an elementary school, uh, he was so severely impaired that he would regularly fall down, whether it be out on the playground, whether it be in the hallway, he would fall down. And when he fell down, he couldn't get back up again on his own. And my dad was the biggest kid in the class. And so the teacher in this act of compassion said to my dad, you're going to follow Roger around. And whenever he falls down, your job is to pick him back up. 
Your job is just to be there with him and your job is to pick him back up. If, he, if he's carrying books or something that's too heavy, your job is to carry those books. And they've been best friends ever since. To this day, they're both 75 years old. My dad begins every day. He gets on a Skype call with my Uncle Roger. They've been in each other's lives. They've been there for each other at different hard times in their lives. And, and here's, here's what I've learned from their relationship. What I've learned is that it's actually not, what bonds us together as human beings is actually not good times shared. Uh, it's actually not even bad times shared that bonds us together. We've shared some bad times together, haven't we, over the last 18 months? It ain't bonded us together. What actually bonds us together is carrying each other's burdens. When we lay down our individual rights and freedoms to carry each other's burdens. What Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, he's talking to the church in Galatia there. He's giving them instructions for how to be in community with one another. And he says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Why is that a fulfillment of the law of Christ? Because the gospel message is that Jesus carried our burdens. He took our very burdens upon himself and he paid the price for them on the cross. And he's the only one who can do that. He's the only one who can pay the price for our sins. But what we're called to do is in his example with one another, when we're in Christ, to carry each other's burdens. So a moment ago, I asked you the question, uh, who do you belong to that's helping you grow into your new identity in Christ? I'd love to close uh, by asking the question, whose burdens are you helping to carry? Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Because here's the deal. A whole bunch of you right now, you've been listening to this entire message all the way up to this point. You've been going, yeah, that's great, Brian. I don't need a small group. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I've got friends. I've got people. You know, I'm good. I don't need a small group. Okay. All right. Well, what if there's somebody else who needs you? in the body of Christ. Whose burdens are you helping to carry? What if your reason for getting involved in a small group, taking a step into community in the church isn't for you? What if it's because in this time, in this era that we've been living in, we as a church need to ask ourselves the questions, what does it mean to carry each other's burdens? That's actually what bonds people together around the person of Jesus. So, are we going to do that? I'm telling you, that's the path out of this last 18 months we've been in, is to begin to organize again around the person of Jesus. That's what a church is. It's a community of people centered around the person of Jesus Christ who carried our burdens, and we begin to carry each other's burdens. We're going to be just fine. So are, you, are we going to step into this, or are we going to keep making our Christianity just about us, just about me? We've had this dream um, for Welcome Home Sunday. I'm going to invite Pastor Cody Mahaffey up. Cody is our, our pastor of connections here at Frontline. Many of you have met him, especially if you're newer. So we've had this dream we've been talking about uh, for Welcome Home Sunday, and we just said, man, what if we could just see a whole bunch of new small groups get started on Welcome Home Sunday? What would that do uh, for the kingdom? What would that do in our world that we're living in? So today and then in this next week or so, what would it look like for a whole bunch of new small groups to get started out of this morning? And so that's what we've been praying for. That's what we've been asking God for. And so um, Cody's going to tell us a little bit more about how to do that. Well, thanks, Pastor Brian. And, and just through the teaching, I don't know if you caught it, but um, just through the teaching and the stories he shared, 
it's pretty clear we've been designed to be in community, haven't we, church? And it's one of those things where um, there are a lot of ways to get in community. Well, let's just be honest, it's not that easy, right? It's hard to kind of insert yourself into that. And so my role today is just to remove some of those barriers um, and to really help you get into a group if that's something you're not already a part of. So he mentioned small groups, and so small groups are the ways um, that we connect. And so if you don't know what that is, it's simply just a small gathering of people that meet regularly in community and talk about Jesus. You can't really beat that. Um, And so that's the invitation this morning. Um, And so I'm going to go in a minute on how we do that. But just real quick, if everybody can just take your phone out. So there's not too many times where we ask you to take your phone out, all right? So take advantage of it. So take your phone out if you have one. And if you'll see on the backs of your chairs, you're going to see a QR code. Um, One of them says next steps. If you grab that code or up on the screen, if you go to frontlinegr.com slash community, both of these links are going to go to um, basically a form. Um, And the form is very simple. It just asks for your name, your email, and a couple pieces of information um, that us as a staff will actually use to try to find the best possible group for you. Um, So the best time to join a group is right now in the room. And the reason why is because normally you have to kind of dig and do some of that on your own. We as a staff are going to find the right group for you. So that's my invitation um, for you. And and here's the thing. We're going to go back into worship here in just a moment. Um, and I'm going to pray us out. But my encouragement is, man, now is the time to jump into a group. Um, and just as Brian said, I mean, you know, COVID disrupted a lot of the things that we experienced of community. But the small groups that have been continually going throughout the year, man, they're the ones that are continually pushing on. And so we want to invite you into that. And we hope you'll jump into that. So if you don't have a phone with you or technology is not your thing, when we dismiss here in a minute out those barn doors, we're going to have somebody at um, a desk out there and they can help you sign up for a group as well. So before we go into worship here, I just want to pray uh, for the room. And so here's my invitation for you as we pray. Just begin to ask, Jesus, is this my moment to jump into a group? Let's pray. And so, Father, Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge that your Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God, even in your essence, you are community, God, and you are the perfect representation of that. And so, God, it just makes sense that you invite us into what you are. And so, Lord, I just pray for the room for those who maybe have uh, just felt stuck in isolation. Maybe you're online right now and you've been there this whole time and, and uh, you know, maybe your only reason for being online is you're afraid to take that next step. Here's my encouragement, God. Would you just stir us? Would you move us to the places we need to go? And if that next step is to jump into a group, God, would you give us the courage to do it? So, Lord, I just pray over this and ask, God, that your, your uh, mighty name would bless it. And all God's people said, Amen.